I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Um, staff, would you mind doing roll call? Sure. Uh, board member Curtis? Here. Board member Cisneros? Here. Uh, board member Ruiz? Here. Uh, board member Sahiba? Present. Uh, board member Hom? Absent. Uh, board member Riza? Absent. And board member Teague is absent. Uh, we still have a quorum. Thank you. I think board member T has an excused absence. So. That's correct. Thank you. Um, do we have any agenda changes, staff members? Ablong? No agenda changes from staff. Okay. Thank you. Um, moving on to agenda item number three. Does um, the public have any? So there's non-agenda public comment. Comments. Anyone may speak for three minutes. Do we have any speaker? Uh, no, we don't. Thank you. Um, that's a move on to the consent calendar. Do we have a motion? I move that um, it be approved. Second. I second. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 The motion passes. Now let's move on to um, regular agenda item. Item 5A, presentation on draft public art master plan. Um, staff, do you have a presentation? Uh, yes, uh, I'd like to introduce Walker Toma from the Community Development Department with the staff presentation. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, Planning Commissioners. This is my first time before the Planning Commission. And uh, as mentioned, my name is Walker Toma with the Community Development Department. And I have a presentation on the Public Art Master Plan. So we are looking for the planning board to provide feedback on this draft plan. Feedback provided this evening will be brought back to the Public Art Commission for consideration next month. And any feedback that is incorporated into the, into the plan will be included in the, uh, that is not incorporated into the plan, excuse me, will be included in the staff report for City Council. Um, can you bring up the presentation? I'm asking City Clerk for that, but it's, it's on. Oh, here we go. Thank you. All right. Mr. Toma, and I'm going to ask you to speak to the speak microphone a little closer. Okay, I'll Thank do my you. best. Thank you. Well, my presentation this evening will include a quick overview of the process by which the plan has been developed and a snapshot as to how tonight's presentation fits within that process. I'll then provide a brief overview of the plan to summarize its contents. I then want to present sections of the plan dedicated to the plan recommendations, the five-year action plan, and the consideration of locational opportunities. So a bit of background. The completion of the plan was recommended by the Public Art Commission to guide the implementation of the city's public art program in alignment with the vision and goals of the Alameda community uh, and the city council. A request for proposal, or an RFP, from qualified consultants was issued in June 2021 and forecast public art. A consultant based out of Minnesota was selected in November 2021. Beginning in June of 2022, so a while ago, a forecast facilitated multiple discussions with the Public Art Commission. In addition to these discussions, forecast conducted a robust community engagement strategy, which involved collaboration with local artists, arts organizations, and community members. 
This community engagement strategy played a key role in shaping the development of this plan as, and included, but was not limited to, a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations with key stakeholders that included elected officials, city staff, developers, artists, representatives from artist organizations, among others. It included focus groups, two different pop-ups at uh, different community events, and a community-wide survey that generated nearly 500 responses. Since November last year, staff and consultant forecast have been working to develop the plan content. And we are currently working to finalize the plan with the intention of bringing it before City Council in September for adoption. As you can see, we are here in, in red at the planning board on 626. Um, as I noted, we intend to bring the plan before Council in September for consideration. Okay, now I'd like to provide a brief overview of the contents of the plan. So what is uh, this plan intended to do? Uh, the Public Art Master Plan is a comprehensive guide that aims to promote and support public art in the city of Alameda. The document provides actionable, prioritized steps to take in the next five years and was created in consideration of staff capacity, fund variability, and community desires. It establishes policies and procedures for the effective management of the city's public art program and collection, prioritizes funding, and provides a roadmap for the selection and placement of artworks. The plan is organized into an, an executive summary and roadmap for public art in Alameda. The roadmap includes recommendations and a five-year action plan. The plan also includes 10 appendices uh, that include the plan purpose, background information about the public art program and commission, uh, plan input or uh, a summary of the results of the community engagement effort that I talked about before, more detailed recommendations that build upon those presented in the core report or the roadmap, uh, draft deaccessioning policy, locational opportunities for public art in Alameda, structure for unveiling ceremonies for new artwork, as well as identification of potential new funding sources for public art. The last two appendices, the public art policy guidelines and the procedures document, are meant to serve as standalone documents. A little bit more about those, the public art policy guidelines are intended to serve as more of a technical reference for developers, staff, and members of the public, uh, provide transparency into the processes required for public art in Alameda. And they explain the public art ordinance requirements, eligible and ineligible expenses, and the processes for commissioning on-site and in-lieu artworks. The procedures, um, would also intended to be a standalone document, lays out kind of high-level processes for on-site and in-lieu artworks and more detailed selection and commissioning processes for each of these items, including roles and responsibilities. It also shares processes for cultural arts and arts programming and physical arts projects that are funded through the grant program. As I mentioned at the beginning of my presentation, I want to focus this on three, uh, focus your feedback on three components of the plan. That's the recommendations, the five-year action plan, as well as one of the appendices, the locational opportunities. Okay, so starting with recommendations, the plan includes six recommendations. Uh, first is create opportunities for professional connections for artists, culture bearers, and creatives in Alameda. Secondly, to build local artist capacity and create opportunities specifically for local artists to be involved in creating public art. Recommendation number three, uh, that's about developing prioritized sites for public art across the island. Four is to develop opportunities for the community to be involved in and invest in public art. 
Five, to develop a mix of artworks in terms of theme, form, interactivity, ensuring that all public art is physically accessible by people of all abilities. And lastly, to further define cultural equity, diversity, and inclusion within the public art program and create an action plan around this. <clears throat> the action plan is uh, across five years as well as one ongoing action item. The five-year action plan includes actionable tasks associated with those six recommendations that I just read, and each action item may include multiple sub-items that are categorized as high priority or lower priority or if there is further capacity, and this is mostly contingent on staff capacity that a lot of these recommendations are based on. Sorry. So in year one, the action plan lays out uh, building resources based on the updated public art policy guidelines and public art procedures, those two standalone documents that I mentioned earlier, uh, to assist artists, developers, community members, staff, and the Public Art Commission in the public art process. And secondly, to attend to the condition of artworks in the public art collection. In year two, uh, we intend to release a grant application for both cultural arts and arts programming as well as physical artworks. In year three, we hope to develop a prioritized list of locations for physical artworks based upon known upcoming public and private development projects, public, uh, public locations available such as walls on public buildings for murals, and areas where public art does not currently exist on the island. I want to note here that the rationale behind issuing physical art grants in year two while engaging in a location prioritization effort in year three is that for the year two grant process, staff and the public, or staff and the PAC, the Public Art Commission, would identify, uh, identify a location or locations and within previously identified locations of parks and right-of-ways, and that the year three effort would be a more kind of comprehensive development going forward. Um, and we can speak more about that if you have questions. Um, in year four, the action plan identifies developing initiatives and or materials for advocacy, marketing, and visibility of the public art program. And in year five, uh, the review and adoption of a deaccessioning policy and process. On an ongoing basis, um, staff would work with the Public Art Commission to develop a biennial plan that lays out priorities for the following two years of work. The plan would start at the end of the year it was developed. At the end of the two-year period, the PAC would continue their current practice of presenting City Council how the fund has been and will be spent, which we currently do. All right, the third area that I wanted to call to your attention and, and garner feedback from the commission is, uh, sorry, the board, uh, is locational opportunities for public art in Alameda. And this is uh, Appendix F. Okay, so we believe that identifying appropriate locations for public art in Alameda is an important step in the process of creating vibrant and dynamic public, public art. This plan through Appendix F outlines the methods and criteria that will be used to determine the most fitting locations for public art in the city, taking into consideration the cultural context, existing infrastructure, community involvement, and potential impact on the surrounding environment. Eight criteria were developed to guide location selection for public artworks. And these include consideration of visibility, accessibility, 
community input, and suitability. Along with historical significance, safety, maintenance requirements, and budgetary considerations. That concludes my presentation, and I look forward to any questions you may have as, and, uh, and welcome any feedback on the plan. To reiterate my statement at the beginning of the presentation, we are looking for the planning board to provide feedback on the draft public art master plan, and feedback provided this evening will be brought back to the Public Art Commission for consideration. Feedback that is not incorporated into the plan will be included in the staff report for City Council. I also wanted to note one more consideration that due to the timing of when the uh, materials were submitted for this planning board meeting, um, which was a long time ago, uh, we've subsequently met with the Public Art Commission, so they have provided subsequent feedback to the plan that's before you this evening, and I can talk about some of those, those changes in, in greater detail. Um, I imagine that some of the things that some of you have called into question have also been called into question by the Public Art Commission. So just wanted to note that, that due to timing constraints and the movement of, of public meetings, that's, that kind of was required in this process. But thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Toma, for the presentation. And now let's open up for board questions and then public comments and then board comments. So um, do we have any board questions? Um, board member Sahaba. Hi, yeah, thanks for the presentation and the thorough report. Um, I just had a question just as a resident and um, living in Bay Farm. I noticed this Solar Walk Eagle project that has um, popped up. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but this series of signs that. Um, uh, excuse me, board member Sahaba, may I ask you to speak closer to the oh, microphone, yes. please? Sorry, Thank could you, you hear me now? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I was curious uh, about the current state of the projects that are that are right now happening at the planning uh, at the um, arts commission, and part of it is this for me to understand what the current uh, pipeline looks like, and the question related to it, I, which I was um, curious about, was that I saw the Solar Walk Eagle project pop up um, in along the the, tr the, the Bay Trail. Uh, along the water's edge in Bay Farm. I don't think it extends over here to, to the main island. Um, but I didn't know if that went through the Arts Commission or not, or how that came about. But I was curious, like, what's happening right now versus how are some of these projects um, been approved? I, which, again, I don't know if it went through the Arts Commission or not, but I was curious if you knew that or not. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for that question. I. I am not aware of the project that you're referencing. It did not come through the Public Art Commission, at least in my tenure um, over the last two years with the Public Art Commission. In terms of kind of where what we're doing currently, and uh, we we have been holding off on issuing new physical art grants until the master plan has been approved. So we wanted to inform that grant process uh, more fully. So. That is something we've we've held off on. Uh, the last grant process was a cultural arts and arts programming, um, which was done last year. And uh, some of those grants are completed, but some of them are still outstanding. So there's been performances and uh, different projects that have been funded through that. Uh, otherwise, it's been on-site uh, public art projects that the, the Public Art Commission and the Public Art Program have been involved in uh, of late. OK, great. Thank you. Sure. Um. Board Member Curtis. 
um, really a good presentation, both um, in, its, in its form and in its logistics. My question is, as a mission statement, what do you expect the public to take away from the art that's being presented? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, so the mission statement was developed uh, in, I think, across two different of these facilitated discussions between the consultant that was hired for this project, Forecast Public Art, and the Public Art Commission. And uh, there were a few different exercises that were, that were conducted uh, with, with the public art commissioners to kind of draw out what, was, what were their priorities and how they, how they wanted you know, a somewhat uh, succinct statement to capture those public art priorities. So I think that it was a, a mix of you know, five different commissioners as well as you know, uh, staff's desires or, or recommendations about what you know, should be included. Um, that was guided by you know, an experienced public art consultant. Um, so I, I think that the, the authors, more than not, were the public art commissioners. Um, so I can't speak to precisely what they all were hoping to get out of it, but I can certainly uh, read, read the mission statement and you know, glean what, what it means to me. Um, did you have a, a question about certain language that was included? No, I was just trying to think <clears throat> of the art that, that the city currently has, mm -hmm. and I was trying to picture what the commission expected, for example, a group of children to take away from it, young adults, what the cultural significances were, what was the, what was the goal for the real appreciation of the elements that are put up. And I, I was, it, it, it's kind of a loaded question because I couldn't figure it out and I figured maybe there was a magic answer, but you know, it, art is a individual thing. And, and uh, it, it was just, I just wondered what, what particular group it was, it was targeted to. Was it targeted to give the young kids an appreciation of, of the forms that are done or young adults or you just, it's, it's a tough question. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your clarification. I think that you know, its intention is that it's universally applicable. You know that this is this is for the Alameda community, whether it's children or people who've been here their entire lives, city staff who are implementing the public art program, the commissioners who are making decisions about what projects to prioritize. Uh, and so, I, I think the intention is that it is you know applicable to to all groups. It's not focused on a you know a specific demographic, for instance. If that helps answer your question. And it does, and and as I originally said, it's really it was a well done presentation. It was well written and and flowed nicely. Appreciate it. So, any other board questions? Um, I, oh, before I come um, ask my question, let the record reflect reflect that Vice President Hom is with us. Um, so, thank again, thank you for the presentation. It shows that there's a lot of thought process and effort going into this. Um, I do have a question that is, um, what, what is the qualifying factor for a project that needs to participate in the arts program? Because there seems to be inconsistencies in um, several locations. Um, in, on page eight, it says it's for uh, residential projects of five plus units and 250,000 construction cost. In page, on page 17, it says um, public arts as a um, program is required for all constructions over 250,000. Then another one uh, on page 55 says it's for commercial and residential 
And then another place, they all projects are over 250,000. So as a developer, they need to figure out if their project need to comply with this requirement. So what exactly is the requirement? It's What's the uh, threshold? That's a, that's a really good catch, and thank you for that, that clarification. We will certainly correct it so that it's consistent throughout. The, the eligible projects or the projects that are required to pay into the fund or provide on-site art is both commercial and residential above $250,000 in, in value. Uh, and five, five for residential project needs to be five units or more. So if it's a five, five units or more, but less than 250,000, let's say the renovation of a multifamily project that's a less than 250,000, but it's five units or more, then it wouldn't qualify. It's an and, not an or. That's, that's correct. It needs to be both, but I would yeah, so we try just to need find a, a project that's less than 250,000. I, I know, it's hard to imagine, yeah, but yes. I think we need to clarify that. Yes, Make no, sure it's consistent throughout the document. Thank you. Okay, that's, that's, that's just uh, my, my question. Um, the rest are comments. Okay, so now that's open up for um, public comments. Do we have any speakers? Uh, we don't have any speakers. Okay, thank you. Um, now that's open up for board comments. Um, Vice President Hom. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I thought this was a good report and uh, it covered it very comprehensively. So I commend the Public Arts Commission for and staff for all the really wonderful work developing this policy. I just had a, a couple comments and I might have missed it in the document. Maybe it's in the appendixes or so. So uh, bear with me if I didn't get it. But one of the issues that I'm thinking about where art has come to the planning board for comments. So, so my comments kind of reflect those past discussions. But I seem to recall one of the areas that might benefit from being clarified is really the role of the planning board um, in reviewing public art where there's an intersection between uh, private development application and there's an art proposal. I, I realize um, that the Public Arts Commission really has the primary authority for reviewing and recommending art. So the question is where art is being proposed for instance, there are a project where it's supposed to be kind of to deal with some uh, design issues. You know, what is the role or not the role of the planning board in uh, commenting or reviewing art? I think that might be good to clarify for the future uh, when instances like that come up. Uh, so that's one of my comments. Um, one of the other comments I have is I think there's a lot of good um, discussion on policies and what the recommendation on priorities should be. And um, one of the things where I realize that art is meant to be, art is not meant to be, say, like a historic display or a, an interpretive sign or anything like that. But where what I didn't see was uh, emphasizing how art can really be, have an educational purpose. Maybe it's in there, but I didn't see it strongly. And some of the areas I'm thinking about is like um, if there's an area and I see acknowledgement of the need to acknowledge indigenous uh, peoples, but to the degree that art can be used to highlight some historical perspective about Alameda or even a particular site. It doesn't have to be specific to a site, but to, to the degree that it can be uh, used to highlight historical cultural issues or you know, or natural resources. Like for instance, the, the artwork that we reviewed, I think about a month ago, we, for the uh, the fire, um, I forgot 
apparatus uh, stationed out on uh, on Island Drive. You know, I I think some of our comments was it didn't seem to reflect anything about the area, whether it's the natural resources or maybe you know there must be maybe it would be appropriate to address the indigenous history or the history of the area as a, a former farm area, you know, something along that line. I'm not saying that that should always be the purpose of an art, but that might be, a, be just be another criteria to consider. So I offered that as a comment. Um, I also think it's wonderful that um, there's an effort to kind of reach out to the community and to degree that there's an effort to really be inclusive as far as the artists that are hired to do the art. So not only having art reflect the cultural diversity of Alameda, but ensuring that who we hire to produce the art also reflects diversity. And I, I'm, I'm sure that's built into the guidelines, but I'm just kind of reiterating some of the things. Uh, um, regarding, you had a comment regarding locational requirements. It seems like in Alameda there's some items where there's a inequitable distribution of resources and it would be good to make sure that one of the priorities is putting art where and where and I haven't seen a map of where the various art pieces are so maybe it is well distributed but to the extent that there are some areas that are unrepresented um, for art pieces and it could be neighborhoods that just doesn't have a whole lot of development happening where say a private development needs to commit to art, but to degree that we geographically, we make sure the art is represented throughout the community. Um, I also re really want to commend and support the idea of having that online resource that really provides a nice history about um, the background of the art, because sometimes I get really get lost in the translation. You see the art and you know, you don't know what it's about, so having that information online is really beneficial, and I see that in your program, so I acknowledge and appreciate that. So those are my comments, thank you. Thank you. Um, Board Member Cisneros. Yeah, um, thank you for the report and um, for distilling it so uh, well and succinctly in your presentation. Um, uh, I, really just reflecting on Appendix F, uh, which has a lot of great, um, I think, content and guidance on um, how we would approach the site location. Um, in reviewing it, for me, um, I felt like it would have been helpful to have um, the process more articulated, and maybe because this document is like more evergreen and we don't want to like um, put too much emphasis on any one thing, but. Um, you know, I, I really agree with Board Member Hom's comment about um, elevating um, the why for this, which is like identifying the art deserts in our community and having it more um, evenly distributed throughout Alameda. So like item 2C, I felt like that's something to elevate and maybe just um, think about like, you know, step one is that like take a step back and do an inventory of like what we have on the island, what we don't, step two, leverage our um, partners with ARD, our ARPD, et cetera, et cetera, like the, the one and two that you have in here. So anyway, so that that's just like a, maybe I'm being too prescriptive, but for me, like that would have helped me to like better 
digest or absorb um, what's like really important in terms of this component of the process. Um, and then I guess it's a comment slash question, but maybe uh, I think it was threaded in the document, but um, to your point about having budget constraints and capacity issues with the city, I'm interested in seeing um, a little bit more about the partnerships, um, like with nonprofits or um, private actors, like how that they could help with your various efforts. Um, yeah, those are all my comments. Thank you. Any other board comments? Um, oh, it's my turn. <laughs> I just I have I have a few. Um, again, it's a well thought of documents and just um, a few comments. I think some of the numeration can be cleaned up. That's just formatting. In some incidences, it was mixed with number and bullets and some are numbers and numbers. So just kind of do a, another review to comb that and clean it up, mainly on page um, 11 um, and uh, 44. There are some inconsistencies and 46. So um, please review that. And um, under the Appendix A, um, I think page 15, we talk about um, provide opportunities for public education and engagement. Um, along that more, what Board Member Cisnero and Vice President Hom mentioned, uh, come up with more concrete plans. Does that mean you're engaging public schools? What's our interface like? We're, you know, utilizing that to, and knowing that maybe we can supplement some schools in the arts program as well. So just be a little more concrete in that action plan. Um, so then question I have on, in Appendix I, page 53, um, under definitions, there is mentions of public accessibility of the art. That's a requirement. Um, better define what accessibility means. Is it visual? Is it tangible? I see that it was more defined on page 56, but that was not under definition. So it's hard to, if somebody's looking strictly for definition, they wouldn't know what that means. They have to kind of read further down. And um, you mentioned that Appendix I and Appendix J are supposed to be standalone documents. Um, therefore, there's a repetitions, like definitions are repeated in both places. I think that can make future maintenance of the documents a little bit harder and create potential conflict down the road. Even though they are standalone documents, it may be helpful to reference one or and the other so that the definitions, it doesn't have to be repeated in both places. Um, and potentially add to future confusion. Um, similarly, um, on under, in Appendix J, we mentioned the deaccession procedure. But deaccession procedure was already mentioned in Appendix E as a draft policy, so it's being repeated. So where does it live kind of um, require a little more thought into it. So find a, find a good, good home for it. Um, and what else do I have? In terms of the, specifically in the deaccession policy on page 40, there I, I do have a little concern 
about, um, hang on, let me see if I can find that page. The fourth bullet from the bottom, it says the work can be sold to finance or can be traded for a work of greater importance. Um, that sentence gives me a little pause, make it sound a little mercantile. And um, it just kind of reevaluate that is if that really is a value that we want to hold to. Okay. So other than that, um, I think. Oh, and um, another comment is um, on page 57 there is the artist exclusion list. Uh, and I'll be interested in how that list came about, why those specific staff were um, excluded from participation. Um, Sorry, okay. could you repeat the location? Uh, page 57. Let's see. The following are not eligible to be selected as artists for the on-site artwork. Um, and I, I understand the need to have this for a sake of transparency. Um, but just think about if that's going to exclude, is that going to benefit the city or is that going to limit the pool of artists that we will have? Just, just okay. consider I, that. I will, I will check, but I believe yeah. that might be included in the public art ordinance, that list. But okay. I'll look, I'll look into it, but thank okay. you for, thank okay. you for noting it. That's all the comments that I have. Um, oh, yes, Remember Sahaba. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, again, thanks <coughs> for the very thorough document. Uh, I'm going to come back to uh, the opportunities, which I know will, will be investigated in the future, but it seems to me that the Parks Department is the, it, you know, the Alameda Recreation and Park Department, um, they have the opportunity of hosting the most public art, I'd imagine. And I'm imagining that there's also probably close, uh, close collaboration between the Arts Commission and the Parks Park Department. Um, so I did a little bit more research on this solar walk project. Um, and it looked like it was approved by a ARPD. And I guess where I'd like to see in the future that I'm not sure when certain elements cross over the threshold from something that just gets approved by the Parks Department without input from the Arts Commission. Um, because I think it, it, you know, personally, just my own opinion, th this should have been a bit more vetted. Um, and again, I, I don't know if the document that you presented here today has um, real clear guidelines of when that threshold is crossed. I, in my mind, uh, when you do something within public space, that's going to not be a play structure, but be something that may be um, stationary and fixed and offer even information on it. Like you said, there's opportunity to communicate things. And I think it crosses a little bit of the line for me and should be reviewed under the Arts Commission to make sure that um, we are engaging appropriately. Um, in, in that sense. So uh, I'm not sure if there's enough language in, in the document that you presented to make that clear or what that threshold is to then for that engagement to occur. But uh, maybe with other departments, this might be the case as well. But, there, but I think 
the opportunity that was lost there is that you have this really serene um, walk along the water's edge, which quite honestly, whenever these signs come up, it's corrupted in my mind. Um, it's not a pleasant experience. And I think if the Arts Commission was engaged in something like this, it probably would have been elevated to something that could have been more, um, what, what I would say, a, a little bit more sensitive to the sense of what you're doing through nature. So um, I just want to put that out there. Thank you. Thank you. So any other board comments? Okay, given that this is a um, study, study session, so we're just providing feedback, and I hope that gives you enough information to continue your great work. So with that said. Thank you, yeah, no, I really appreciate the feedback. I had one clarification that I wanted to make. Um, Vice President Hom, you made a note about the, the alluding to historical significance, or you know, there was a few different cultural and historical significance, mm -hmm. and there was a, um, the ordinance, the public art ordinance was altered a, a few years ago, and there, what, there used to be language that specifically uh, talked about historical and maritime um, that was included in the public art ordinance, and that was that was taken out. So it's the public art commission is being in this plan is being consistent with that language that the that public art is not tied to historic or maritime um, experience. Does that help clarify at all? Yeah, thanks for clarifying. Um, that's unfortunate. I think I mean, I'm not not saying that there should be a specific reference to maritime uses or anything like that, but. I know in, uh, I've seen art that is truly art, but it does have a historic um, type of, um, you know, like I'm thinking there was one art piece I saw that uh, had to deal with what the original shoreline was for like in San Francisco. It was very nice, but it kind of like was educational and historical. So it has like, it had a multi-purpose kind of benefit. Uh, obviously, the primary criteria needs to be art, but uh, I, it's too bad that the whole whole issue of just discounting history is not part of the consideration. President Ruiz, may, may I offer some additional background? So, uh, Vice President Hom, I think up until that ordinance amendment, um, all of the public art that the city has been seeing were uh, historic, had a historical theme and maritime related to the point where it was almost all educational and not real art. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to amend the language, hope, hoping to just give more uh, opportunity for other types of art. But up until then, it was everything was historically related. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I could see that would be, that's where the balance comes yes. in, you know, mm -hmm. is, you know, maybe some art is focused on cultural diversity, some on natural resources, some on history, some just pure art. Um, but I think there's still some opportunity. Mm -hmm. I understand the reaction. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to be clear, it's not, there's no, there's no language that is excluding uh, any historical or maritime. It's just that it wasn't explicitly that it had to be oh, of yeah, historical yeah. maritime. So and that certainly wasn't my okay. suggestion whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. I, I apologize. I just wanted to clarify. Okay. Well, with that said, that um, concludes uh, agenda item 5A. Thank you for your time. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate the feedback. Now let's move on to agenda item nine, I mean five B, um, objective design review standards. Um, does staff have a presentation? Yes, I'd like to introduce uh, David Sablon, who you know very well, as well as uh, Heather Coleman, our consultant um, for the staff presentation. 
thank you, uh, President Ruiz and members of the board. Uh, my name is David Sablon. I'm with the uh, Planning, uh, Building, and Transportation Department. Um, and so I'll just kind of jump in here. So as a reminder, um, staff has been working with the, the Historical Advisory Board and Planning Board uh, on revising the objective design review standards um, for over the course of the spring, um, holding a study session uh, at each board in April. Uh, based on feedback from both boards, uh, staff worked on revising the standards throughout April and May. Um, and then at the start of June, um, took the standards to uh, the HAB to, to hold a, a study session. Um, and um, so, yeah. Um, so, kind of stepping back, objective standards are part of the larger process uh, and system of managing uh, housing development. Um, this board has been integral in, in establishing and refining that process these past couple of years. Um, this process starts at a high level, uh, very general overview, and becomes more specific as it goes through the process, uh, culminating in a review of uh, building codes. Um, and so at the most general level is the housing element, um, which establishes the densities and locations of, of new housing. Um, while the zoning ordinance establishes development standards uh, that determine the size and location on the site of the development. And then um, but the, what we're here for is the objective standards, which is once those uh, items have been kind of decided, um, uh, the objective design review standards are there to guide design for the housing development. Um, so with that in mind, uh, the, the objective uh, design review standards have some key components, um, number one being site design, um, location of buildings and other amenities on the project site, uh, building mass and articulation, um, which supplement the zoning ordinance to control the scale and create visual interest on the property or in the site. Uh, building orienta and orientation and entries, um, which uh, deals with interaction with the public right of way, and then uh, compatibility with the surrounding environment, uh, maintaining uh, character of existing uh, uh, historic neighborhoods. Um, and so uh, previously the board had requested clarification on uh, the applicability of the objective standards um, and the interaction um, with ministerial and discretionary review. Um, so first it should be noted that the Housing Accountability Act, which applies to all resident residential developments of two or more units, um, uh, what the Housing Accountability Act says is that, is that when um, housing development application is consistent with objective standards, a city cannot deny or uh, impose conditions that limit the density of the project. Um, as far as uh, ministerial review, currently the state uh, limits projects uh, under SB 35, AB 2162, and SB 9 uh, to only, uh, to only ministerial review. Um, within the city's design review ordinance, projects mandated by the state to be ministerial review are automatically exempt, and so there there's, is no design review application for those projects. The, the, compliance with objective design review standards is done at the building permit stage. Um, however, uh, other entitlements uh, associated with projects such as a subdivision map or plan development uh, will need an application that goes through the, the standard public review process and will end up before the planning board. Um, and projects not mandated uh, are, are automatically gonna be um, uh, subject to discretionary design review. Um, However, uh, as I noted, the, the, the Housing Accountability Act applies to all residential developments, and so um, staff will still be reviewing these projects against objective standards in case that, that comes into, uh, uh, becomes relevant um, if there's you know, conditions or, or any uh, 
denial of the project. Uh, and then also, uh, additionally, projects that the state requires ministerial review that are not uh, consistent with the objective design review standards have the, the option of going through the discretionary design review process. Um, so now um, staff's going to uh, briefly summarize some of the revisions um, that, that are being proposed tonight. Um, uh, so staff's uh, first recommendation is uh, shared entry doors um, for, for uh, mixed use and multifamily buildings um, should be double door width either by actually being double doors or uh, by employing storefront windows and side lights uh, to, to, to the width of a double door. Um, one thing you also notice about these entries is that they, they, they all are framed by vertical uh, elements that, and then either uh, have a, a covered projection or recess over the entryway. And so um, some of the discussions uh, that have come up around uh, breezeways, uh, staff is uh, recommending a revision to then have that type of requirement over breezeways to, to kind of create some, some interest uh, on the street. Um, since the last planning board study session, the issue of campus-style developments uh, has been discussed. Currently, the objective standards require that entryways always be uh, at least uh, on the project's primary street. However, uh, some types of developments uh, that this poses a safety and privacy concern, uh, in particular those developments providing services to sensitive populations, uh, such as an assisted uh, living senior center or supportive housing and supportive and transitional housing. Uh, based on this discussion, staff has developed a campus-style exemption for qualified projects where the formal main entries can be located on the interior of the site. This would apply to multi-building developments that provide services to residents on site. As part of this exemption, the applicant would still be required to provide some type of uh, pedestrian path, which can be gated for safety purposes uh, from the primary street to the interior of the site. Um, there are some areas within the city that this type of exemption would not be appropriate, namely pedestrian-oriented neighborhoods. So this uh, proposed exemption would not apply to the entirety of Park Street, the entirety of Webster Street, uh, and all streets designated as a main street in the mobility element of the city's general plan. Um, and so uh, on the map uh, in front of you, the main streets are uh, the, the orange uh, streets, and so this would be like West Atlantic Avenue, Fifth uh, Street, um, uh, portions of Lincoln, Santa Clara, and Antonelle uh, at the Seabund Station districts. Uh, in response to board comments, staff has made um, several revisions uh, regarding balconies, um, which include that uh, a standard requiring that balconies face uh, streets either be partially recessed or uh, railings that uh, have railings that are not 100% opaque. Uh, both the, the HAB and the planning board recommended including the North Park Street area uh, into the traditional design area. Um, shown here is, are the gateway uh, residential mixed-use subdistricts of the North, North Park Street uh, zoning district um, that staff is uh, uh, recommending be added to the to TDA. Uh, the workplace and marine manufacturing subdistricts of North Park Street do not permit residential uh, development, and so uh, they have not been included. Uh, currently, objective standards allow applicants to choose which of the four options for determining uh, a reference building. Um, that you know, uh, staffs proposed a revision uh, based on, on feedback from the from the boards uh, would be that option one, um, using a historic monument uh, or an N or S uh, designated uh, building, uh, would be the required option if present. 
uh, in the context area. And if not present, then the applicant would have the option of choosing uh, options two through four. Uh, another revision is that um, properties within the community commercial zones of Webster Street and Park Street, uh, the context area would then expand just beyond you know, the five lots and or 250 feet uh, in the context area, but include the entirety of the, the CC zones that the, the property is located in. So uh, the HAB also um, provided um, feedback on this, that this methodology should be uh, applied to the C1 stations uh, as well in particular, um, that either uh, you pull from the, the N or S reference building in that, that C1 district, um, and if not present, you would then pull from other C1 districts in the zone or use the standard method um, that, that's already in the, the standards. Um, staff doesn't recommend adopting this type of revision. Um, we feel that uh, uh, that you know, pooling reference buildings from other parts of the city does not ensure that the potential development uh, would be compatible with its uh, immediate surroundings. Um, some HAB recommendations that staff did include, um, but is seeking direction from the planning board, include uh, single-family homes uh, expressly allowing a building to create a full story uh, when raising. Uh, currently, it only speaks to uh, the, the golden mean method of raising a building. Um, clarify that plywood used uh, for board and batten be architectural grade plywood. Um, limit, eliminate uh, smooth finish requirements for synthetic shingles. Uh, one uh, HAB um, uh, historical advisory board member noted that there, you know, uh, synthetic shingles don't come in uh, a smooth uh, finish, that they, they all have raised wood grain. Um, and then uh, finally, uh, for standard uh, 7F.6 architectural details, currently the applicant can choose from any two of uh, the architectural details to carry over. Um, the HAB recommends that three details uh, specific uh, are, are, are uh, required when present on the reference building in addition to two uh, other details of the applicant's choosing. Um, moving forward, staff will be working with a consultant on producing um, illustrative examples uh, of the different standards. Um, staff provided a list of uh, some of the standards that we felt, felt um, were high, medium, or low priority um, to work with our, our uh, consultant on. Um, so uh, yeah, staff's recommendation is to review uh, proposed revisions, hear and consider public comment, and then hold a board uh, discussion before ultimately voting to adopt uh, the standards. Uh, and with that, I'm available uh, for questions. And as uh, Alan had mentioned, our consultant, Heather Coleman, who worked uh, on these uh, standards with us, is available too. Thank you, Mr. Sabaland, for the presentation. That's open for board questions and then public comments and then board comments. Any board questions? Vice President Hum. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, staff, for the presentation. Um, I have comments which I'll um, mention later, but uh, so I tried to pull out items that were kind of, I think, more question rather than comments. So, so here they are. Um, let's see. I'm trying to look at my notes. Um, oh, I, I know. On um, in the uh, single-family design guidelines, it talks about what is subject to ministerial approval. 
and uh, I think it's focused on one and two family households. Um, should it, one of my question is, have st staff thought about maybe clarifying regarding how ADUs fit into the picture? Like for instance, if someone wanted to do a, um, say a two family um, house per SB9, and they also want to add an ADU, so such as say there's four units. Uh, uh, that is still ministerial approval, right? Correct, yeah. So in our uh, design review ordinance and in state law, uh, ADUs are expressly uh, right. you know, called out as exempt from design review, um, but we could add that uh, type uh, of It language. might be good just to yeah. expand that section on ministerial design review to make sure that's captured. That's kind of one of my comments. Um, there was discussion that we had at the board meeting regarding the... Um, that proportion about raising the building, which you alluded to, and I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought we were allowing for an exception if this building needed to be raised because they needed to meet floodplain elevations that may perhaps some exception to that, uh, called the golden rule, was possible. I didn't see that reflected in the guidelines. Is that something? Yeah, we, we um, you know, th that has been discussed uh, at both boards. Um, both the HAB and, and planning board at, in April didn't really support um, oh, okay. that exemption, but instead, in lieu of that, um, allowing some type of uh, mitigation uh, design features, such as, uh, you know, placing the, the, the water table at, you know, a, at, a, at a height on the building that made the building look like it met the golden mean. That, is that that discussion I see in the guidelines about the belly board? Yeah. So the, uh, to yeah. address that? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then um, the third question, at the beginning of, um, I think there's one more, but I can't think of what that question was. It'll come to me perhaps. Uh, but um, on the first page of uh, for the multifamily and mixed-use development guidelines, there's a new section about projects eligible for ministerial review. And uh, first is the single-family guidelines. The ministerial review is really explicit that uh, ministerial review is staff authority. And for these guidelines, a new section doesn't state that for multifamily. And there was a prior section that was explicit that uh, ministerial review was staff approval. Mm -hmm. Was there a reason why that was maybe left out of this revised language? Uh, no, I don't think there was any specific reason uh, for that, just kind of yeah. consolidating and editing. Yeah, yeah, just because I, only reason why I say that, because I, I saw that language, uh, and I figured you were gonna, they, they would be duplicative in both set of guidelines. Anyway, so that was just one of the questions. Anyway, I have comments, but I'll cover those later. Yes, board member Cisneros, let me just comment on that last question really quickly, and that's my question is, um, my understanding based on the staff report is eventually you're gonna combine two documents into one, right? Yes. But, yeah, so I think the preamble will be all together. That may address your yeah, concern. Yeah, that would, that would address it. Board yeah. member Cisneros. Um, yeah, thank you um, for all the great work going into this. Um, I just had a quick clarification question, and after that really robust conversation for that variance Victorian project last month, um, uh, there was, a, I think, a lot 
of discussion about um, you know raising the building or adding a, another story on top of this Victorian. So um, I um, see here for the suggestion for standard five um, that it would be a second floor it would be allowed in context where there are other um, two-story buildings are common. And what does common mean? Like, yeah, well, we probably needed to define that with an objective definition. Um, so I think um, I have to establish, yeah. <laughs> okay. you know, the, kind of the same way with the context area is maybe it's a little bit more than just 250 feet and five lots, but the entirety of the block and is present more than twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just asked just because it, it does seem like um, maybe some guidance around that could be helpful. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the, my only question. Thank you. Okay, um, board member Sahaba. Yeah, uh, thank you for the presentation and uh, thorough document. I just wanted to ask, um, some questions about the balconies, which are, have been edited in two areas in the building massing and articulation, and then further down um, in the uh, in the architectural design details and materials uh, portion. And I guess it's repetitive a little bit, but it talks about balconies are partially recessed, a minimum of twenty five percent. Uh, of the balcony depth, what, how did that percentage get established, or what, what's the thought behind that? Um, so, uh, what I guess, yeah. So that kind of is the minimum standard, mm -hmm. and so staff was feeling that that, you know, you don't want somebody putting it in one foot. Sure. So, sure. You know, so that it's substantially. We felt that that was a substantial amount to be uh, considered recessed. And how does, is, is, is balcony defined as far as minimum dimension? Because there's Juliet balconies, there's just balconies that you yeah. can walk out um, onto. So we probably would tie it to the uh, uh, open space requirements uh, okay. for, that, for that development itself. And so, yeah, if it's gonna be something that's providing private open space for that unit, and it's, so it has to be a certain size, 60 square feet mm -hmm, or so. Mm -hmm. so you know, that would be um, required to be recessed. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I'm curious if that, yeah, I was just curious where that percentage came from, so I'll have more comments later. And then uh, I guess it says meet one or more of the following, and the second one is balcony railings are not 100% opaque as one of the comments uh, or one of the options mm -hmm. that could be selected. Uh, so someone could do 99% and it'd be okay. Um, yeah, I <laughs> that's think basically it, what that's saying. Right? Yeah, I think um, we were, you know, kind of just like the twenty-five percent, kind of looking for, you know, what's the level of trans transparency that right. we would want. And so, you know, if we would be open to hearing from the planning board if there's right. recommendations. Okay. Okay. Understood. Just want to know. It's part of the nature of coming up with an objective standard yep. where it's best to tie it to. A, figure yes yeah and so yeah whether it's 25 percent 30 percent yeah no i like the idea science. that it's tied to a figure I, i'm just when it's a hundred percent 
then you can yeah. be 99% and it right. feels very close to 100%. So, okay, all right, great, thank you. Any other board questions? Now let's open up to public comments. Um, do we have speakers list? Uh, yeah, so we we have one person in 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 person and then one uh, online. Okay, thank you. Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Uh, we sent you a letter. I'd like to go through some of the points in the letter. We sent it last night. Uh, first, we would like to thank the planning board and staff for supporting many of our recommendations, notably adding North Park Street districts to the TDA and defining the context area for Park Street and Webster Street business districts as the entire district rather than the 250-foot five closest lots method applicable elsewhere. Second, I would like to review some of the remaining loose ends in the draft revised standards and referring to the letter, item one in the letter, um, concerning um, selecting reference buildings and the, and the four in the four options we're recommending deleting option three which is adjacent buildings we're concerned that allowing the applicants to select option three risks eroding the neighborhood's architectural character if the adjacent buildings are architecturally undistinguished or inconsistent with the rest of the context area going to item two which is context area for the stations we're recommending that the reference building be selected from all of the N or S buildings within all of the C1 zones collectively, but not the adjacent residential areas, which is different from the staff recommendation. We're doing this because some of the stations are too small and don't include any S or N buildings. And if residential buildings are included, they're too different from the commercial or mixed use buildings. Now in the stations, they have front yards and often have pitched roofs. Moving on to item four, we're recommending adoption of the HAB recommendation for standard 7F6, which is architectural details. Under the current draft, the applicant can choose a minimum of two details from the reference building. We're concerned that some of the listed details are much more important than others. We're therefore um, agree with the HAB that, who suggested making three details mandatory. One, window and corner trim, two, porch columns, and three, cornices. This requirement would be in addition to a minimum of two other details chosen by the applicant. We're also recommending that three other changes. One, that the cornice detail description be revised to include entablatures and various other um, clarifications. The detail K, which allows the applicant to select up to two details on the detail list, be deleted because the applicant could select pretty much anything and might be they might be totally unimportant. And finally, detail J, which is tile roofs, that that uh, be added to the roof requirements and apply to all Spanish colonial buildings and or possibly added to another list of, um, of um, de required details. Um, and also to adopt the other HAB recommendations. Turning to uh, item eight, which as you see in the image on the screen, continue horizontal lines from neighboring buildings and cornices, tops and bottoms of windows and other horizontal elements. This will help maintain architectural cohesiveness within block faces. It's similar language that's already in the Webster Street Manual, which you see on the screen, which could be as a starting point. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next speaker. Uh, yeah, we have a speaker online, uh, Doug Biggs. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. My name is Doug Biggs. I'm the executive director of the Alameda Point Collaborative. 
Recently, we appeared before this board with our reshape design review in which we identified several components of objective design review that we felt negatively impacted uh, both the cost and our ability to provide trauma-informed design for housing serving homeless and other special needs populations. And we really want to thank staff for looking further into this and bringing some of these design changes as part of the review of the objective standards tonight. Um, I know you have a lot of review with, with the, the proposed standards and I'm just focusing my comments on section six, the so-called campus uh, development exemption uh, for supportive and special needs housing. Over the last few years in the design of our wellness center, reshape project, and North housing project, we've taken advantage of work being done in the sector to identify best practices for trauma-informed design for homeless and special needs housing. To give you a simple example of trauma-informed design, blind corners and dead-end corridors should be minimized in design to increase a sense of security. In the uh, proposed changes, we're, we're happy to see and support the um, adoption of exemptions to allow uh, off-street entrances. We think that those are, are important, uh, directing people out of the entrance to supportive house, to supportive services that are within the community uh, to create a sense of a safe haven. Um, the other changes and, and special standards and exemptions that have been proposed, uh, including changing ground floor height to help reduce the cost of, of affordable housing uh, is also really effective in, in moving trauma-informed design forward. So we ask that you support uh, those changes to the objective design standards. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other speakers? Uh, no, that's it. Okay. Now let's open up for board comments. Vice President Hom. Oh, okay. I didn't want to necessarily be the first, but I'll, I'll go through my comments and maybe it's best I refer to the page number. I'll see. Um, okay, I'm, I'm looking through the, um, the multifamily design guidelines. So on page six, um, um, I appreciate that um, staff and incorporated the, the requirement for offsets and in the buildings and all of that. The one exception came to my mind that after we had our last board meeting. Um, you know, there are certain situations, say, where, where residential, like townhouse buildings, where they, the buildings are only separated by like five feet or 10 feet or so. So maybe in those conditions, you don't necessarily need to have those offsets, or you can be a little bit more relaxed in those offsets where there's, you know, those side yards essentially um, fairly invisible. So I'm open to allow a little bit more um, leeway for like zero lot lines or, or where there's just basically a very narrow side yard between the buildings. But otherwise, uh, I do support the idea of the, the offsets. Um, perhaps it's already defined someplace. I'm looking at page eight. Uh, Campus-style buildings, I understand what that means, but I'm kind of wondering whether that clarification, that definition needs to be a little bit more clarified. So that was my comment there. On page 11, um, towards the top of the page, there's a sentence that says, incorporate balconies at integral components of building facades, avoid balconies that appear simply attached to or hanging from the exterior. Um, this this might be a, you know, it may be perceived when I read it as being too subjective, so maybe here's a good opportunity for a picture that illustrates what that means, because uh, 
otherwise I hate to have someone uh, accuse the city of being too subjective because everything needs to be uh, objective. Uh, on page 14, and this is uh, kind of building off of what Bort Sahiba's comment was, I had the, the same comment, this 100% uh, uh, seems, you know, if it's 99%, and the other thing is usually I actually I see the opposite in cities where they actually prefer, like where there's a balcony facing a public street, that there needs to be a minimum percentage of opaqueness because one of the problems that happens is the, if they're really fully open balconies, which this would allow, you know, you have bikes or, you know, clothes hanging, you know, and it's very visible. So sometimes I actually see the opposite where for the street facing balconies, you kind of want some level of opaqueness. Um, and I don't know whether it's 75% or 80 or I don't know what the right percentage is. I realize you need to come up with some quantified measure. But to me, it seems like what you really want to do is opposite of what you're saying in the standard. Um, then I'm just, then um, on uh, page 19, um, on the bottom of uh, 6A, um, clarification, I was reading, here's my suggestion on, on one of the sentences because it wasn't quite clear to me and I'll read what, what my suggestion is, kind of like second uh, sentence from the top. I would tend to say, if yes, Section 6B through 6E below apply. If no, skip to Section 7. You know, and oh, by the way, it should be 7B and 7E. There's a couple places where I think you miss changing the section numbering to 7 when you renumbered the guidelines. Uh, let's see. Oops, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't the location. Anyway, there's a couple locations you could search for them where, where it should say seven rather than six. And then, moving right along, uh, this is on page 25. Um, okay, this is, maybe I'm gonna leave this whole discussion of reference building to the end because that's a much more complex discussion and I actually would like to hear what other board members feel about it, but I'll give my opinion. On uh, page 29, um, oh, that has to do the context discussion, so I'll wait for that one. Um, Appendix C is kind of where I see uh, there's reference to six and should say seven and seven C. Um, let's see. Now into a couple of comments regarding the, first of all, I just want to say these are very well done. I, if I didn't say it before, I meant to uh, commend staff. These are very detailed guidelines. I think most cities do not have the quality of these type of objective design standards and a lot of cities are still struggling with them. So I give the city, I give Alameda staff a lot of credit for what they've done here. Uh, in Appendix D, um, there's, re there's links to various resources, and um, there's not a link to the historic, architectural and historic resources. Um, it just says it's online. S since the issue of the H&S buildings are so significant to some of the options, it, it, it'd be helpful just to provide a link so that people can easily find, find it online. Let's see, for the single family, okay, I already, you already addressed the ADU, JADU J question that I had. Uh, let's see. 
Oh, here, this is kind of a nitpicky question, comment, but under page five, neighborhood context standards for new buildings, the first bullet says construction of new one and two-story dwellings on vacant sites, and part of me says you might say vacant or cleared sites, because somebody might totally clear a site and they, you know, I mean, it's not intended that, that they wouldn't apply, but you might just say cleared sites also because that might be something that gets proposed. And let's see, and then you answer my question about raising the building. Uh, okay, getting to some of the comments that the HAB has raised um, regarding for the C1 areas. First of all, I, I support kind of for the context area for Park and Webster Street including the entire street corridor, because that makes sense to me. There's a context to it. Um, for the C1 corridors, you know, to me, when I think about neighborhood context, we're talking about surrounding area. So when we say any HRS building in, in the city, to me that kind of doesn't quite tell me this is about con neighborhood context. It's more about trying to emulate um, historic, you know, architecture, which is a valid goal, but under neighborhood context purpose, I'm not sure that would fit. However, I do agree that the C1 districts are probably too small for, for neighborhood context. And even though it's not perfect, you know, the idea of expanding the consideration of the context area, even though it uh, stretches over into uh, residential uh, property, could be an option. It's not a perfect solution, but you're talking about, you know, maybe picking an option that's most appropriate for that particular project. So that's my comment on that. Um, there's a question about increasing for 7F through I think 7K, you know, making th three items mandatory and then two additional. Um, I understand that comment. I, I would tend to maybe propose a compromise where maybe it's not just two, you increase the number of mandatory, but allow it to be still, be, allow some flexibility because I could see projects being different. And part of my concern is we don't want to get too rigid and, and get caught in situations. But I do agree that perhaps increasing the number of items that they need to comply with could be a compromise solution. There's a comment about one of the standards about requiring the, you know, Spanish roof on Spanish colonial buildings. Part of me is what is the definition of a Spanish colonial building that you would apply that standard to? Then you start getting into defining certain architectural styles. And uh, I'm a concern about, you know, defining that this particular building is Spanish colonial, so therefore this standard applies. Because nowadays there's such a blend uh, of different architectural styles happening, you know. Unless it's purely Spanish colonial, then perhaps that applies. Um, uh, let's see, there's a comment about Webster Park, which my scribble notes, I can't read what it is, so when it comes back to me, I'll uh, ask, the, ask the, the board president to allow me to speak again. Anyway, those are my comments. Thank you. Thank you, Vice President Hom. I do have a question. Um, this is a um, agenda item that we do have to vote on. And so are any of these, all of these need to be conditioned? Is that what you're considering? That's what I would. 
that's, but I wanted to hear from other board members too, because you know there may not be a consensus on some of the things I'm suggesting. Thank you, um, board member. Other board comments? Um, are we all? Uh, in the, yes, board member Sahaba. Uh, I just, I just board, member, board member Curtis. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just, I just wanted to say that that <clears throat> um, I think it's a great presentation. Uh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna commend my colleague uh, Mr. Hahn for helping me out on this one because his detail was terrific. I agree with what you say, and I also agree with a letter that came from. Um, the Alameda Architectural Society with the changes that they wanted made in that. I thought they were substitute, and I thought that they improved the plan, which was well done, very well done. But I just wanted to add my two cents worth that um, I think that letter should be taken into consideration, and um, I think it, it, it really improves an already good plan. Thank you. Thank you. Board Member Sahaba? Yeah, uh, thanks again for diving into this. Um, I just, I'm going to come back to the balcony question that I raised earlier uh, and try to frame it in a way that hopefully um, makes sense. Uh, one of the things is, is that when you first go to standards on the building mass and articulation on page six, uh, projects must, you know, select two or more of the following. And then number five was added, of course, for the balconies or partially recessed. So if a project does select that, as one of the nine items that is offered on this menu, uh, it already states that at least 25% of, of the balconies um, need to be recessed. And so what I'm trying to understand is that when you go to then further down and, you, and, and let's say a project has selected that, then you go into the standards, which are the architectural design details and materials, and when you get to the balcony design 4C on page 14, it, it then says you must meet one or more of the following, but it repeats the same standard that you have already had to have met um, as one of them. So then you may never get to the second one because you only need to do one of the two. Yeah, um, so I think, um, I think the, the first uh, standard was written before we, we started working on the second standard and thinking about uh, opacity. And so um, I think the, the change would be to remove the recess by 25% in, um, in the articulation section so that they can still you know, use a fully, a fully extended balcony. Okay. Yeah. So then it would just say that if you're using balconies, then check here and then go down to this mm -hmm. location to then select yeah. whether you're going to do 25% depth or you're going to do railings that are not 100% opaque, one or the other? Yeah, it would be, yeah, so, yeah. You could. Um, I'm not, if. So the, if you do use the balconies as, as a way to, uh, in, you know, create articulation, they would either need to be recessed at least 25%, or if they're not recessed 25%, the railings themselves uh, could not be 100% opaque. Oh. Yeah. Please. Hi, Ms. Coleman. Hi, thanks for letting me speak to this. My name is Heather Coleman, um, planning consultant. So um, if 
an applicant used the recessing option to create articulation, they would have already met the standard. Um, the railing opacity would not create building articulation, but recessing would, kind of by its, by its in order, I mean, in, in order to recess a balcony, you're making the wall jog in and out, so you've already created quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of facade articulation that way. So if they use that, when they get down to the standard, they've already met it. Um, they don't need to deal with the uh, balcony opacity. And I should point out in the staff report, we also discussed an option of, instead of the, instead of the transparency, um, getting into specific materials that were okay and not okay. So there's a little bit of, um, there's a, we need to reconcile that. But I don't, okay. does that answer your question? Uh, that helps. It just means that you've got to first meet the massing articulation standard, right? Up above, that's 25. And I understand the point of it is to create recess. I think it is important to define the minimum dimension of a balcony because that's, mm -hmm. you know, let's say it's six feet, that's 18 inches that you're recessing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in order to meet that standard, it should not only say 25% recess, but it also should say that the balcony needs to be a minimum of six feet. A deep. number of feet, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so okay. I think that's important to add. And then, but when you get down to this, I, I, if you're only meeting one or more of the following, you've already met the one. So why, why even put the second one in there? Because it's really going to just be open to anyone to do whatever they want. It, they're never going to need to check the second box because they've already met the first one to be able to get to this section, correct? Theoretically, if they are not recessed, then they don't, they would have to choose two other options from the articulation section. Okay, so if they just do a balcony, they're obviously not going to be able to choose option one, so they're going to have to go with option two. It, right. That's okay. Right. Okay, exactly. that's, that's okay. Um, I, yeah, okay, that's I, okay. I, I understand that then option one should, well, I don't know how to reconcile this kind of loop that one is in here um there's no there's no need for uh, well i guess they could do option one but then why didn't they select it at the top i'm not sure <laughs> um i think when we were um and and it's such a good um clarification about requiring a certain number of inches or feet also i think we were thinking that you know a private open space has to be um at least five feet in depth so um but you have such a good point that somebody can do, you know, non-required open space as a Juliet balcony, and and then we could get, you know, a few inches. Right. Uh, so, thank you. Okay. I hope that I hope that Anne kind of no, that helps answered the question. I, I would just add that um, the balcony railings are not 100% opaque. I, I actually think you have to think of this from the user experience, from the resident. 100%, well, it's good that they're not 100%, but even 99% is awful for a user sitting in, in there. It constricts a lot of light into the actual unit and into that space. So although I know that, you know, oh, what are they putting out there? I mean, the reality is that if the building wants to, you know, whether it's for sale, HOA, or it's a rental, and the management company can put rules in place of what people can place, on their balcony, so I don't think that's something that the city necessarily needs to govern. But I do think that even 99% opaque balconies are, are not good. 
uh, I mean, you see them in building, and it just, I, I think, from the outside, it's not good, but from the inside, it's terrible, if you've ever walked into a unit that has that. So I think the requirement needs to be more that the balconies have to be at least 50%. I'd, I'd take it down to half of that. And you know, if they don't want to follow these objective standards, do something else, obviously we know the roadmap for that. <laughs> but for objective standards, I think it needs to be 50%. Thank you. Thanks. Any other board comments? No, that's it. Thank you. Well, thank you for um, my fellow board members' com um, comments. And um, I have a few feedback for you and would like to add as a condition. And then I have questions for Vice President Hum, see how we can massage it so it becomes more actionable conditions okay. so the staff can then act on. Um, first is regarding the um, multifamily. Um, objective standards, um, item number 6B.3 um, on page 19, I believe. Um, there's a difference between pagination and the actual page. Um, it has to do with the campus design, and I will, hang on a second, let me find that. Yeah, it's page 19. Um, 6B3, it says an entry archway or arbor are the decorative overhead features incorporating a sign with the project name and or street address. I would like to add um, wayfinding into the main um, entrance of the building so that even though you have an inwardly facing main entrance, but somebody from the public can easily find where that main door is. Uh, so I think that is important from a um, accessibility standpoint. And um, the next comment appears both, next section appear both in the multifamily section is um, page 29 in item five, um, 5B. It mentioned um, one by two board and batten at eight, eight inches on center. And um, I will be hard pressed to, I don't know where that eight inch on center came from and uh, I'm sorry we missed it, at least I missed it in the previous iteration. Um, that is not common board and batten spacing practice. It's either 16 inches on center or 12 inches on center. Um, it's very hard to find eight inches on center. My recommendation is to remove that because um, it all depends on what the industry construction standards are. So this similar dimensional requirements happens, um, it's under um, single family, single and two family, um, item number 3H2. So the same comments will apply to both. Um, and then- President Ruiz, just yeah. a clarifying question. So there, your comment is to not reference any of the dimensions? No, one by two, the band dimension is fine, but the spacing, it okay. says eight inches on spacing. My okay. recommendation is to remove that. Okay, thank you. And also clarifying with the one by two net or one by two nominal. Based on the, the way it's written, I'm gonna assume it's net. But I see more and more people using that as nominal. So just clarify which one. Um, let me see, five, let me look at the, five, the single family one. Give me a sec. Family. 
five. Two. Five beef. One second. Five. Okay, so um, just want to confirm that a five B is that all of these three need to be compliant, not just one of them. There we go. Five B one two three. They all. Yeah, three. yeah. So it's it's all, all three. Um, my comment on five B three is that it mentioned something about um, you can practically just basically burn up the gray so that your stare doesn't appear to be too elongated. But in um, the guide to residential design, page twenty three and twenty four, the other exhibit that was inserted in, into the document, it mentioned about com, um, revising the stairs so that it goes to the new first floor rather than the second floor. And I would like to see that incorporated that into this as an option so that you're not elongating the stair, but if you're raising the building, you can use the new basement as your main entrance. In that case, you know, that was actually part of the um, residential guideline. Um, in terms of the letter from um, Historic um, Preservation Board, and I agree with um, Mr. Uh, Vice President Holmes' comments on, um, in terms of context and detail requirements, we do need to provide flexibility, so I'm hesitant to increase the required um, details. So um, with that said, those are my comments and um, wanted to see if we can make them into a more, um, I don't have any objections or concerns, so I just wanna make sure that it's clear that we can vote on. Okay. Yes, Board Member Curtis. Um, President, I have a oh, can you speak to the mic, please? I have, I have a question. Um, we're asked to, to, to approve these standards tonight. I've heard a lot of changes, most of, some of which are substantive. Mm -hmm. And how, the question is to staff through the chair, mm -hmm. is that how do, we, how do we get these changes put into these standards if we're gonna be approving the standards? If we approve the standards tonight vis-a-vis -vis the resolution, we're approving these standards as they are. But there have been uh, several changes um, that need to go. Would it be appropriate to incorporate the, the, the changes and bring them back to the next meeting to, to vote on, as opposed to putting a list of changes in there um, going forward? And that's, that's my question. I, I agree with you. And that was my question to Board Member Hom as well, um, because some of them are comments and not actionable. That's why I'm going back to him and see if he can articulate into yeah. an actionable. You know, I, I totally ag agree with th that comment. Well, I mean, most of my changes, I think, are fairly straightforward, you know, but I think the one area that might require a little bit more review by the board is section seven, where we talk about amendments to the context areas. Um, I mean, some of the ideas that HAP came up with, uh, I think, are really good. So, I mean, I didn't comment on the ones that I agreed with, but I'm assuming that 
many of those items that were suggested by HAB would find, you know, uh, is placed as amendments or possible amendments in the guidelines. So it does make sense that we could, might make better sense and clarity that we provide direction tonight to staff and then have another, a final version for us to take a look at at the next meeting. So I, so I support, you know, what, what the thoughts you. are. Um, yeah, if, if I may, um, President yeah. Ruiz. Uh, so um, actually, the, a lot of the comments we heard tonight are, are fairly manageable, mm -hmm. mostly because staff has been spending a lot of time on the document. We know it well, and so the changes for us are simple, but we have no rush to have the board adopt tonight. If you want to see it again, that's fine. Um, the other thing that is also happening over the summer is we're working on graphics and reformatting the documents. So it also is fair for the board to see it a little bit later, the finished product. But um, I, I would agree that yes, if the planning board is interested in any of the comments that the HAB has provided, um, we staff would like to uh, have some direction on that, particularly if there are um, items raised in Mr. Buckley's letter that you would like staff to incorporate, and I think we would need some more direction. But what we have presented to you tonight is staff's recommendation after considering all of the comments. I mean, just really an, at a high level from staff's perspective, good design and particularly uh, for new development, for it to really fit into the existing neighborhoods, really comes down to the overall building form, the orientation of the building. Yes, architectural details do matter, but at a very fine scale, we don't think it's sufficient to sort of, you know, destroy neighborhood character or anything, you know, of, of that nature. And so I would think that the, the the standards as proposed tonight are actually really good. Um, you know, we may have a one percent more, you know, to for refinement, and then I would say, let's after that, let's just go ahead and try to apply it. We've had experience applying it to three projects. Um, there are many more projects down the road that will use it, and um, at any time, if we run into issues, we can always come back to modify it. So again, no pressure for you to make a decision tonight, but staff just wants you to know sort of what, what we're thinking. So given, um, with that said, I'm going to open up for your feedback and comments. Um, the comments that I provided to, to the staff is very specific, and so that can be addressed. And same thing with the um, board member Sahaba's comments about, I, I agree uh, with the, the balconies, uh, maybe change that to 50% transparency. Um, instead of opaqueness um, as minimum 50% transparency. Um, and then there are some, I understand the, the you know, vacant and clear sites. I understand that. Um, I understand the link to historic resources. Um, one thing that I wasn't quite sure how to Im implement or direct the staff to proceed is uh, when it has to do with it. The offsets, you say you're going to be more lenient, but what does that mean yeah, in terms of yeah. language that we would like? I would like a little more clarity so that the st staff can can revise the language accordingly. Yeah, or maybe you can provide um, outline language, you know, separately to the staff which, after which, the meeting, which I and could. then we can review afterwards. Yeah, that, there's a, those those are a couple of comments where it might be, you know, I know what my objective is, but to come up with the precise language, I don't want to like sit here and come up with something that the staff goes, wait a minute, this doesn't work, because you didn't think of this or that. 
So that is an example of uh, maybe seeing some revised language. So I do agree that most of the changes are pretty straightforward. I, I totally agree with the suggestion that 50% is a good percentage for the balconies. Um, to me, one of the issues, um, the HAB recommendation has a recommendation about um, you know, referring to the C1 districts and then throughout the city for the H&S buildings. And um, what I, I'm not hearing one way or the other how the board feels about it, but. I, I'm in agreement with you. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. If the rest of the board is also in agreement with that, maybe that would, could provide some direction to staff. Because to me, you know, if we want to incorporate another option, then that's, to me, is a fairly significant change to section seven. Yeah, I don't think we are oh, okay. recommending okay. to incorporate another option. You know, okay. What you're okay. saying is, what they're recommending is broad enough, and we don't think you don't think that's a no, necessary. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think that's okay. necessary oh. either. Okay. Good. Good. I just you know want to make sure we're yeah, no, consensus on that. Yeah, I heard you wrong. Yes, board member Cisneros. Just so I'm crystal clear. So. Um, because uh, I, I agree we don't have to rush the approvals, but um, it sounds like most of the comments um, are, are pretty straightforward and it sounded like maybe section F, um, the, the S and, and oh, I forgot what it was, the reference um, in the C1 area. Um, so I, I agree with staff's recommendation that we don't necessarily incorporate. Um, so yeah, we're yeah, all yeah. in, okay, yeah, just checking. So I think yeah. board member Curtis was, yeah. Um, maybe in disagreement, uh, if I'm. Would it be appropriate then to make a motion to table this till the next meeting with the changes to be incorporated into the into the plan? What is the proper procedure? Is it to table or to, to, con to, con con is it con to continue or? Yeah, uh, you can continue it or I think we'll just have to take, a, actually, um, I think the changes being proposed tonight are pretty manageable, so continuing to the next meeting would work. However, if your direction to staff tonight is to further explore some of the other changes raised by the public comments, then that's gonna require more time and we would, we would just have to come back later. Um, you know, I, I think enough of the items, in my opinion, are pretty straightforward. And you could, I think it should come back just to make sure we we, we, know, we know what we're adopting. I thought of one other area that might require a little bit of uh, massaging is I think there's a one comment which I think the HAB also supported of making, I think this is section five, making three mandatory items and then two additional choice items. Um, I, to me, I totally support the intent but I think it might be a little bit too rigid but I would, support maybe expanding beyond two mandatory because there's a list of I think about 10 or 11 yes. so it may, might make more sense to say mandatory three or four or something like that so right. that's right there's a list of 10 and then one which is you you choose two others mm -hmm. um, yeah okay. I, mean, I guess in that case staff can also summarize the comments we've heard tonight and you can confirm that and then we'll go back do an update and then bring back a final document. So with that said, do we need a motion to table the agenda? Um, I mean, no, I, I, I think staff would just re-advertise and come back. That will give us some time to work through the details as needed. 
Okay. Yeah. Or, okay. or can we or just continue the public hearing so you don't have to re-notice? Um, you can you can certainly do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we would need a date date certain. So do you think staff could perhaps come back at the next meeting? Uh, next meeting packet I'm, goes out on Thursday, so okay, maybe. So I think know. we would just re-notice. It's okay. Uh, okay. It's a citywide item, so that's I not just, a just wanted to major issue. Yeah. Staff work, <laughs> if not, we could. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you for the consideration. But um, why don't I summarize? Hang on a second. Oh, uh, Board Member Curtis has a comment. I, I just wanted to say that there have been a lot of a lot of substantive suggestions tonight. But I, when you do make your considerations, also the letter coming from the Architectural Preservation Society should be given due consideration because they. They put a lot of time into it, and I found it helpful for me. Um, and and I felt I felt that they were really strong additions that really helped the the, the plan. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would just make a quick comment. Um, a lot of uh, th and thank you, Mr. Buckley, for his comments. A lot of the comments have been raised uh, for since the the first round that we've. Um, drafted these standards and and for staff our business has always been trying to find a fine balance between getting projects that will uh, I mean it, it's hard to prescribe good design but we're really trying to set standards that would avoid the worst types of projects um, and also factoring in you know the, the cost factor for for uh, housing development and we recognize the more prescriptive we become on the architectural details. I mean, we, we learned this from uh, the Everett Street project from the Housing Authority. I mean, again, I, mean, I hate to say this, but if we, it was on the cover of the, of the newspaper as being one of the more expensive um, housing projects. You know, cumulatively, a lot of factors, but you know, they, the, the Housing Authority pointed to kind of the labor and the carpentry work as one of the, the a, a key issues. So um, we've, we, staff has been very careful trying to you know, balance, uh, make, find that balance. So yes, we, we can go back and consider, uh, you know, there are a lot of good comments. We'll, we'll take a look and we'll, we'll, we'll bring back a, a staff recommendation. Vice President Hum. Yeah, just, just a question. Would, when you bring it back, would you be able to at that time consolidate both set of guidelines or is that an additional level of work? Uh, that that would be more work. Okay. Yeah. Right now, I'm, what I'm trying to think is maybe when we come back, we will wait until our uh, graphic consultants have time to take a look at the document. Um, the city's hired a, a graphics person who is also helping our neighboring cities on their objective design guidelines, which is a good thing because there's some parity um, across cities in the region. So, um, but yeah, that's. We can take a look at that. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, so um, if I could just go ahead and summarize, please. and then um, Heather and David, so please supplement if I miss anything. Uh, so on the issue of balconies, we're revising that standard to require a minimum 50% transparency. Mm -hmm. Yes. OK. Um, and then it, uh, on the campus-style uh, developments, um, we're requiring um, wayfinding sign to the building entrance, basically from the site entrance to the building entrance. Well, not necessary signage, but wayfinding. Yes. Was it a minimum 25% re 
Well, can you speak to the microphone, please? We said a minimum depth. Minimum transparency of 25%. Oh, no, 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 no. It should it be a maximum. 50, 50%. Uh, it, was, it wasn't 25%, um, Board Member Curtis. It was 50%. Yeah. And so you could look at it either way, opaque or <laughs> transparency. It's 50%, so however you want to say it. But the 25% was minimum depth. I got it. Okay. Of the balcony, but with no dimension, it could be whatever it wants to be. So I was suggesting six feet. That way, you know, you get at least 18 inches yeah. of depth. So staff will look at that because um, the bal issue balconies comes up in the zoning ordinance where there's a development standard for private open space having to meet a certain dimension, and that's called out in there. So, but we could clarify it. But you can use a balcony that doesn't qualify for private open space, but then it yes. would still qualify for the correct design. So that's why you need to put yeah. the dimension in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on the wayfinding, just a wayfinding element? Yes. Design element? Yes. Okay. Um, on the board and batten for both standards, uh, we're removing the specific spacing requirement. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then for the standards uh, pertaining to raising the building, we want to uh, speak to the issue of allowing stairs leading to the first floor mm -hmm. when the basement is being converted to the f ground f first floor. Um, and we're correcting typos, making sure references are correct, and then in particularly uh, adding a link to the architectural resources document. Um, and then the last item I've noted is just uh, looking at the sections uh, seven where um, we're looking at making some additional items mandatory, uh, the, the architectural um, details in the context. There were just two other items. Yeah. Uh, one had to do, I don't know exactly what the changes we just talked about, uh, section uh, 2A about I, I don't know whether by choice it already allows the exception, but you know, not necessarily. Ex it's, okay, you have to do two or more. Okay, about you know those uh, elevations with the very minimal side yards or lack of visibility, a little bit more flexibility on the required offset requirements. Could be that's already allowed under by because you're choosing certain items, but want to make sure that we don't have these odd requirements for offsets for these very narrow side yards. Um, and then the only other item just was just clear, adding the clarification on, on the ADUs and junior ADUs for the single family. And I thought you have one more says that um, you want to add vacant and cleared. Oh yeah, clear yeah thank site. you for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah, just clarifying. Well, um, I forgot that, where that's under again. Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, okay. it's, it's on page five of, um, I think for the single family. Well, with that said, um, we will continue this item to future meetings. Yeah, staff will bring it back as soon as we're ready. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, now let's move on to item 6A, um, staff communication. Do you, does anybody want to pull any items? Seeing none, moving on to um, 6B, oral reports. Uh, yes, a couple items. Uh, your next meeting will be Monday, July 10th. 
Um, we are working hard to try to bring you um, the third phase of the Alameda Marina project. Um, this is what's called RAP B. It's a multifamily building. Um, the developer is um, going to be uh, asking for a master plan amendment to increase the unit count. So that will be um, coming to you along with the uh, design review for the architecture. Um, and then uh, the second meeting in July, we're hoping to bring to you um, the annual reports for the development agreements. Um, we'll see if that can make it. Otherwise, um, August would be your summer recess, and then we'll uh, resume in September. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, and then just I also wanted to uh, give you an update with some of the transitions at the department level. You might have heard already um, our current director, Andrew Thomas, uh, will become, come, uh, come July 1st, he will become the acting director for base reuse and economic development. That is a new department created out of the uh, current community development department. Um, and with Andrew's transition there, um, I am very grateful to have the opportunity to become the acting director for planning, building, and transportation. Um, and so I see my role just uh, sort of filling that gap until the, the city selects a permanent director. So appreciate your support. Yes, of course, congratulations. Thank you. Um, also related to staffing changes, um, we have uh, hired a new planning services manager to help support the planning division. Um, that person will be starting in July, and uh, at that time we'll, we'll have proper uh, introductions with the board. Thank you. Thank um, you. I do have a, okay, so let's move on to um, um, item number seven, um, board communications. Do we have any board communications? Yes, board yeah, member um, Sahaba. Thank you. I, I'd just like to reiterate my earlier discussion with the um, Arts Commission mm -hmm. and the fact that um, I think they're you know, stating this, which is probably a restatement, uh, that there should be a closer collaboration between the Parks Department and the Arts Commission. I looked a little bit more at the history of how uh, the solar walk came about, and it looks like it was directly approved at the parks department level. Um, again, I don't know what the threshold is to then have other collaboration with other departments within the city, but I do think it's unfortunate what, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened even with the collaboration, I'm just voicing my own um, opinion that what has um, surfaced there, which is permanent, uh, is an unfortunate um, situation that maybe through m more collaboration could have potentially been something different, in, again, in my opinion. So, thank no, you. Thank you for bringing up, and I agree with you. There needs to be more collaboration between the departments. Yeah, yeah and I think part of the uh, purpose of the master plan update was to create a better framework for those conversations to happen. Mm -hmm. um, okay, um, now let's move on. Any other board communications? Yes, I have um, a question. Um, yeah, just uh, related to uh, 5B. Uh, did AB 20, was it 2162? Did we ever have a project use that? No. Uh, Is that it? Uh, it's like the three, uh, SB 35. Uh, this is, it's like the streamlining affordable housing one. 
Do we have any? We've um, had uh, SB 35 projects, mainly the uh, housing authority, mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, yeah. I don't believe the others were, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was just curious, thanks. <laughs> Okay, now let's move on to um, item number eight, non-agenda public comments. Do we have any public speakers? Hi, Mr. Buckley. Christopher Buckley, Alameda resident. Um, uh, can you I've hang on? Let's wait for the timer to come on. I'm sorry. It'll probably take 10 seconds, <laughs> what I'm gonna say. There we go, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm having trouble, I, I was hearing, a, you know, board members being admonished to speak into the mic, and I agree, I'm having trouble hearing a lot of you, and I'm missing a lot of the discussion, so I encourage all board members to make sure you're speaking to the mic, and hopefully I'm speaking into the mic adequately now. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I will continue to remind everyone. So. And um, with that said, um, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Planning Board.